0: What a rush! Yo, welcome to the four-man rush. This is Kevin Avery, bringing in for episode number five. Glad to be here tonight. Got some good stuff to talk about here. What we're going to discuss tonight here is going to be the uh, six new players that was recently signed from the now dysfunctional AAF. Break down and, and tell you guys about the uh, latest visits by college prospects. Also touch on what's been going on with the Cam Newton. Julius Peppers, and the uh, Josh Norman Celebrity Game recently. And we're also going to talk about the uh, preseason schedule that just got dropped today. And we'll uh, wrap up with some um, closing comments here. First of all, let's start off by talking about the players here. The Carolina Panthers, you know, Martin Herney said a couple of weeks ago during the um, NFL meetings that he was only about uh, 40 to 50% done with his free agent signings as well um, this week here. He signed um, six players from the Alliance of American Football, known as the AAF. Most uh, fans was keeping up with it on the regular. Some was casual. Out of the six players that were picked up was wide receiver Rashad Ross, offensive lineman Parker Collins, offensive lineman Kid O'Brien, offensive lineman Brandon Green, tight end Thomas Duarte, and defensive tackle T.J. Barnes. They've all been added to the Panthers' 90-man roster. Uh, and as you know, we get ready to get the players ready to head down to Camp Barford in July. Definitely looking forward to seeing what these guys have to offer. Now, originally, I thought these were just camp bodies because these are non-guaranteed contracts um, that these players assign. But after some of my fellas done a little research here, come to find out we may have some hidden gems here. So I'd like to start off with Will Harris. Will.
1: Yeah, you know, with... Um... The AAF signings, you know, it's you got to be, you know, hold your expectations. It's look at it as camp bodies, so they're just gonna come in, compete, maybe get a roster spot. But out of the six, I think the one guy that has a chance to crack the roster is Rashad Ross. With this guy, you got talking about a guy that can run a four three forty. Played in the league before with the Washington Redskins. You know, he returned to kick for a touchdown. He had the seventy one yard touchdown against the Cowboys. That same season. You know, once Washington cut him, he was just bouncing around on practice squads and just couldn't find his way on a roster. Then, you know, we got this opportunity in the AAF and he was one of the top receivers in that uh league. So, you know, when I look at him, you know, we just lost Demir Bird to Arizona. So I think Ross could be a guy that could come in and crack the roster as a return specialist in that fifth or sixth wide receiver. So that group that I'm most excited
2: about seeing. Brandon Green, 6'5, 290 offensive tackle. What pops out about him is versatility. He was on both – he was on two Alabama national championship winning teams while also playing tight end in both the offensive line and defensive line. So he's probably a camp body, but, you know, there's some versatility there. I guess they're intrigued by maybe his athleticism, and they'll see what he has to offer. Another guy was a tight end, Thomas Dwart, seven-round draft pick out of UCLA, 6'2", 245. In his class, he had the third fastest 40-yard dash time and ran a 4 Originally drafted by the Dolphins, and he also spent some time on the Chargers practice squad. But these uh, these next two guys are both defensive tackles, and they kind of stood out to me a little bit. I know we're talking about camp bodies, but these are some guys that I think that might have an option to actually, you know, make this 53-man roster. I'll start off with Destiny six 6'4", 300 pounds, DT. He had 27 tackles and a sack for the Super Bowl champion, uh, Philadelphia Eagles. So he has some championship pedigree with him. He was also an undrafted guy, so, you know, he shows some fight. He's going to definitely compete because he was able to make somebody else's 53-man roster. And when you go back to his college tape, he was second-team all pac 12, Washington State. So that's somebody you should look at, you know, as possibly being someone that can come in and compete and make the guys around us better. But this man here, TJ Barnes, is really intriguing to me. He's 6'5, 355, undrafted. Uh, uh, Ended up starting with the Jaguars and moved on to the Jets. He's been around the league quite a bit because he went back to the Jaguars. He also spent some time with the Bills. And then, you know, he's recently been in the the AAF. But he was coached by Carl Dunbar, who, to you know, to to me, because I know a little bit, he's one of the best defensive line coaches in the business. A lot of people know about Mr. Masco as an offensive line guru. This is somebody I look at as a defensive line guru. So when he came into the league, he got some of the best coaching and fundamentals that you can get. So I know he's kind of polished, and he's also 28 years old. He's been bumping around the league since 2013. But, you know, he has some things in common with a couple of all pros that we know. I'll start off by just letting you know that he's 6'6", 355. Mr. Snacks Harrison, first-team all pro. 86, 3, 355. They both play the same exact position. No tackles will fit well in the three-four scheme, and he also played with Snacks Harrison. So I'm sure he's been around some good players, and he also played with Kyle Love, which a lot of Panthers fans may know as well. I look at him as a guy that might be able to crack this roster and be what Kyle Love was us, was for us, and if you know, in the past couple of seasons. So Panther Nation, keep your eyes on T.J. Barnes. Out of these five players. That's the guy that sticks out to me the absolute most. He has similar measurable, measurables to an all pro that we know. He has great coaching under his belt. And he's been able to bounce around the league. He hasn't. He's not a, a two-year guy in and out. He's actually had quite a resume. So that's somebody to look at, somebody that we might be able to pick up, and he might be an attribute for. I mean, sorry, he might be a a value for us, I should say. And uh, Kev, I'll let you continue.
0: Yeah, because um, with these guys, a lot of them being so unknown, um, definitely without research that we do, we try to dig up and find out more insight. And I think he was mentioning that a lot of the reasons why um, the last guy that you was talking about really kind of bounced around was because he had pretty much all pro pro or pro bowl players playing in front of him, right?
2: Absolutely. When he was in Buffalo 2015, he was playing behind Marcel Darius and Kyle Williams. In 2012, he was playing behind Snacks Harrison, which I believe is the best defensive tackle in the league to this day. You know, he was also with the Jaguars a couple of times. They've always been known to have a pretty decent defensive line. So it's not like he's a bad player. He's just had an uphill battle. It's like it's really, really hard to take spots from guys that are making all pro teams every year. So I'm pretty sure he's going to do the best he can to take advantage of this opportunity. I'm sure he's going to push Poe because he actually played with Poe in Kansas City back in 2016 as well. So, you know, he's been around great players. He's been around great coaching. I think that he's not just a camp body. I think that he, I think that the Ron Rivera, Eric Washington think that they might have something with this guy, you know, to pick him up like we did, it's going to be kind of a steal, but you know what, like like Will said, we got to temper our expectations. I just think that out of the guys that we're bringing in, this is somebody that you might want to keep an eye on.
0: Yeah, most definitely. And another thing, Patrick fans, I want you to realize that these six players that were signed, uh, the contracts that they signed did not have any significant impact on our salary cap. As you know, the salary cap is based on the top 53, 51 or 53 players. I, I know it sometimes changes depending on what time of the year as far as their salaries go. But you know, to take a 90 man roster, you're gonna have about nearly almost 40 players who's pretty much gonna be having non-guaranteed contracts, lead, minimum type deals. So I don't want you guys to feel like that we blew our remaining salary cap on signing these players. Cause what you got to realize is every every position at training camp is going to be running about five, six players deep and like with receivers like last year we took 12 receivers to camp so whenever you're hearing about the panthers signing this player here this player there don't take it as you know we're just signing some scrubs or whatever because they're unknown we're looking to take the most competitive 90-man roster to camp to push each other i mean every year there's always some sort of surprise someone that that we see the name now, not think much about them at this moment, but then, you know, come week one, you know, you know, they're, they're dressed out to play. So just definitely keep an open mind. You know, we all have our, you know, training camp crushes. As far as certain players, we, you know, hope to have a long shot, but these definitely are some players that um are in position to take advantage of opportunities that training camp presents to them. But we, I wanted to ask you real quick since, you was talking about Ross, uh, based on what you've seen with his skill set, uh, h- how you think in a North Turner, Air Coriel offense, which is based on a lot of intermittent deep routes, let's just say for the sake of conversation that he uh, that he does get on the field for us, uh, how do you think he fits with a North Turner offense as far as what you've seen he's able to do? Well, with
1: that 4-3 speed, you know I- – you know he's already a vertical threat. I mean, if you watch the AAF games, he was able to create a lot of explosive plays for the uh, Arizona Hotshots, the team he was playing for. And if you watch his tape with the uh, Redskins, you know not even just the regular season in the preseason. And uh, I want to say 2016, he led the uh he led all the league in receiving yards during preseason, and he had a, a 71-yard touchdown against the in the regular season. So just his ability to provide that vertical threat and make explosive plays, I think he'll be a natural fit in that vertical pass offense. But I think his, you know, the key to him making the roster, I think, will be as a return specialist, you know, because we lost Kenyon Barner, we lost Demir Bird, So that's an opening right there. So it's a golden opportunity for him to make the roster. But I think at the same time, you know, for those of us that enjoy preseason, you know, turn on your TV, just keep your TV on. You know, third, fourth quarter. You know, he'll be out there making plays against the second and thirteen defense. So, just keep an eye on him. I think he'll be a uh, one of the more better performers in camp and preseason this summer. All right,
0: great. Well, you heard here, of, you know, everyone that you know, we definitely have players with potential, and, and that's what it's all about. You know, finding players that whose strength fit into what it is that we're trying to do. And I think that these guys that were signed, I definitely think that, you know, like anybody else that would take the camp this year is going to have a legit opportunity.
2: Um, You know, Hey Kev, do you mind if I add something to your point just now? Yeah, go ahead. You know, TJ Barnes, he played in mostly three, four schemes. I just want to throw that out there as well. I know we're still going to be mixing it up, so I don't want people to jump the gun and think we're going to be an exclusive 3-4 defense, but he has experience as a pure zero-technique nose tackle. That's another thing to point out.
0: Yeah, and that's even better. You know, like the players that we're getting defensively, particularly in the front seven, position flexibility is something that both Ron Rivera and Marty Herney have expressed is a big goal in one setting. Can you play the zero technique nose tackle where you lined up squarely in front of the uh, center, or could you shade them as a one technique uh, that's off to the left or the right of the center. And, you know, I'm just giving some insight here. As someone that played defensive line, when you hear us mention different techniques for defensive alignment just to get an idea where they lined up at. So zero technique means lined up squarely in the middle of the center, you know, looking him out of eye one technique shaded off to the left or the right. Uh, two technique, the defensive is lined up on the inside of either the right guard or the left guard three technique is lined up on the outside of the guard. And as you just go down, you know, you hear different techniques, four technique inside of the tackle, five technique outside of the tackle. Um, some of us have even heard the wide nine that, that the uh, Eagles started employing a few years ago, where the defense ends are lined out particularly wide to get that full rush. So, just give you fans some insight. Whenever you see our articles talking about different techniques on the defense line, or you're hearing our discussions, just a little insight here for you. Um, Larry, you're someone that you know follows this type of detail. As well, like, do you see these defensive linemen have the position to play any of these different techniques on the line?
2: Yeah, uh, T.J. Barnes, he'll probably be either a zero technique, head up on the nose, or he'll play a a one-shade, which is like the shoulder, like you said, the shoulder of the center. Honestly, he's a space eater. He played anywhere between 355 and 379 pounds. He's a big guy. So I expect him to be head up on, guys. If he's a four technique, he'll be head up on a guard, or if he's a zero, he's head up on a center. His job is going to be to make sure that Luke Keighley can run freely. And that's what he's going to do. So definitely he's basically what we expected Poe to be. When we gave Poe a whole lot of money last year, we want guys to eat up space. So our linebackers can run freely. Hopefully he brings us what we need. So, you know, you can get the best out of Luke Keighley. You can get the best out of Shaq Thompson. You can get the best out of Jermaine Carter. That's what we really bringing these guys in to do. So, I'm excited about them. Even though these are camp bodies, that's one name I'm really excited about. I'm really excited about Ross. Those are two guys that I just think that we need to, you know, put the magnifying glass on, you know?
0: Yeah, definitely have your magnifying glass on. And like I said, keep an open mind. And and best thing to do is Panther fans is – just kind of keep low uh, expectations at this point in time because you know when OTAs come up and the uh, training camps, uh, you know the mini camps, you know we're going to be in helmets and shorts. So you know every year someone stands out that you know we hear the word, oh he's going to be a beast. You know we'll see who is beast when them pads come on. You know that's 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 when you uh really start to separate um, the pretenders and the contenders, as they say. Uh, fellas, do y'all have any uh, Other remarks about the uh, These guys before we move on to the next subject?
2: No, I'm pretty much Good to go, man I'm, We'll moving on to next We're going to talk about Pep The greatest Panther of all time It's like, I'm just starting controversy, man <laughs> A lot of people say it's Smitty It's Peppers, it's loan. We, we're going to talk about Peppers tonight, though Because he he gave us his all For a long time, man I can't wait to just, you know put my remarks about him. So whenever y'all ready.
0: Oh yeah, we definitely got to pay homage to the man, the legend. I mean, you know, represent my favorite school, the University of North Carolina Chapel Hill. I mean, you know, we got to pay homage to the man, but, you know, just following with the outline here a little bit. I uh, wanted to slide over and talk about these uh, prospects that's been coming in. As everybody know, you know, we mentioned it last week, Larry, that Each uh, off-season, the Panthers are allowed 30 visits outside of uh, not including local guys from the area. And the Panthers have been really busy bringing in a lot of players and a lot of prospects that they wanted to get up close and personal with and to take a look to see how they will fit within the Carolina Panthers system and schemes. So with uh, with the updated roster that our blog guy, Noah Sternberg, Noah Sternberg, shout out to you. Bro, I know you're listening to us right now. We just want to let you know we appreciate your good work and steady devotion uh, to keeping this thing updated. But, yeah, uh, let's talk about the uh, the recent visits that we've had within the last past week. Um, again, I'll start off with you, Will. Uh, talk about some of the guys that you like that visited the Panthers this week and also players that we uh, also spoke with at the Pro Days as well. Who, who's some of the names at the top of your list?
1: Yeah, one guy I was excited about, um, coming to Charlotte to visit was safety Jonathan Abram out of Mississippi State. Um, he's a probably he's a hard hitter. You know, you, if you watch his tape, you know, he's a beast out there. You know, he'll he's not afraid to crack you. But that's uh there's more to his game than that. I think he's probably the most complete safety in the draft. You now you talk about what we need, we probably need a safety with a little bit more range and ball skills and coverage skill you know because abram has a lot of the uh, same attributes that Eric Reed does but you know I I think he's I'd still be happy to grab him and maybe the second round or something he's a good all-around player he can play in the box he played nickel at times he's shown coverage ability especially against tight ends and running backs so I think you know we talked about he's probably one of the I know some boards have him as the number one safety in the draft. You know, I think he's easily one of the top five safeties in the draft, so I definitely recommend looking him up and seeing what he's all about. Another guy we met with uh, today who I've been on from the beginning is Byron Murphy, cornerback out of Washington. Um, You know, you talk about cornerbacks. You know, I'm still on the Greedy Williams train. Don't get it twisted, but if someone told me Byron Murphy is the best cornerback in this draft, I wouldn't argue. You know, he's got just – he's very fluid athlete, you know, great hips, you know, great agility, change of direction. You know, you talk about, you know, those skill sets you want from a cornerback. Last year I like Dante, Denzel Ward, Mike Hughes, Jair Alexander because they had though, that fluidity, that, you know, good hips, you know, good agility, good ball skills. Byron Murphy's in that category. Um, he doesn't run a 4-3 like those guys did. I think he was at about a 4-5 or, or something, which still isn't bad. So you know he doesn't have the speed that those guys have, but I think in terms of just you know playing the cornerback position, having good technique, I think he is arguably one or one a uh, in this draft. So you know if I you know don't fall in love with a position group, you know I know a lot of us you know say it has to be a DN here, it has to be an offensive lineman here. You know if Byron Murphy ends up being best player available at 16, I'm perfectly fine with taking him. You know him. Bradbury and Dante will be a very strong corner unit going into the next season.
2: I agree with you 100%, Will, because, you know, just to put a little vision out there, when you get a guy like, you know, Byron Murphy, he has a lot of similar measurables as the Bradbury, just probably a little bit of a better athlete. But just the idea of being able to put him on the outside with Bradbury, and that lets you do whatever you want to do with Dante Jackson, whether that's throwing him at the nickel, safety, sending him off the corner for a blitz. That just gives us a lot more options on defense. So that's another guy, you know, that, that was pretty high on. Pretty happy that we brought him for a visit. Pretty happy to know that, you know, our staff is looking at the cornerback position. I would love to see them bring greedy in, but, you know, we got to be patient. But one guy that stood out for me was uh somebody I've been high on since day one is Andre Dillard. Uh, The way I feel is, you know, with offensive tackles, offensive guards, centers, the ones that are coming out of college, they usually aren't that polished because a lot of them play one-dimensional schemes, whether you're an option team or whether you're a spread team, you don't really get a complete player. But Andre Diller is an elite pass protector. And our number one priority is what this year? Protecting Cam Newton. I have no doubts that he'll be able to protect Cam Newton in pass games. I was always concerned about his strength, but he actually had a pretty decent combine. He put out a, a pretty decent amount on the reps and the bench press. He's a very fluid athlete, like he was talking about fluidity. What did he run, a 4.8 or 4.940? The, the speed is there. The quickness is there. You can pull him. You can put him in space. He does a great job of getting to the second level. Because we have the offensive line coach that we have, I have no doubts that he'll be able to improve as a run blocker. Out of all of the tackles in the draft, I know a lot of people are high on Jonah Williams. My favorite tackle is Andre Diller, and I was asking for weeks, why haven't we brought him in yet? Why haven't we brought him in yet? But we did, and I'm ecstatic about that. I think Andre Diller would be a perfect pick at 16 if it's not the edge rusher that we want or if it's not, you know, a greedy Williams or something like that. I'm pretty, pretty, pretty happy if we can get a guy like Diller. I hope he had a good interview. I hope he interviews well. That's somebody I want to bring in. And then um, a lot of people are closed-minded, but we'll mention that we brought in Christian, which is a linebacker. I just don't want people to think that because we have you know, Shaq and Luke and it's more of a passing league now. We got a couple of guys like Andre Smith. I don't want people to be like, oh, it's it's a waste of time to draft a linebacker. You can never have too many linebackers when you got Ron Rivera as your head coach. That's his favorite position. So don't be surprised if A guy like Christian Miller ends up
1: being a Carolina Panther. Yeah, a little bit more on uh, Christian Miller. Like, watch his, he plays everywhere. So, I mean, I'm not, you're making an NFL comparison as far as talent, but look how the Patriots use
2: Trey Flowers flowers (laughs) lining
1: up on the guard and inside. He could play (laughs) end rusher. He could drop in the coverage and cover people. So, Christian Miller is more like a chess piece. So, if we're going into this hybrid defense, you know, Christian Miller would be a good player to kind of build that system around his ability to play so many positions. You can have him as an inside rusher, use him as a miswatch weapon in pass rush situations. He can cover guys, you know? So just another, you know, it's um, keep an open mind. Dude.
2: Like you said. Yeah. We've been talking about position flexibility since episode one. That's going to be the key to this draft, position flexibility. So, I would love to have a guy that can do it all, you know, anywhere in the front seven. Honestly, you know, I know Kev is high on Ed Oliver. I promise you, if he's there at 16, we're not passing on him. But just the idea, you know, we, we want we want position flexibility. That's what we really need.
0: Yeah, when it comes to position flexibility, that's something. Like I said, I want chess pieces. I I, I want to. I see what Ron Rivera is trying to do here, as far as why he want to do this hybrid look. You know, again with with 11 players out there with the ability to line up in various defensive formations that the offensive linemen are not sure where they're going to be at. Larry, you touched on it a few weeks ago, you know, as an offensive lineman, you know, their protection calls are based on how many hands they see in the dirt, you know, and that's one of the things that, that I liked about the Bruce Irvin signing. You know, when I did my film breakdown with him, I showed where he was standing up and we had his hand in the dirt. So again, You know, you got to give that, got to give that accountability um, as well. Um, You know, a guy like if uh, if he falls, if Oliver hasn't gone, I'm still high on Rashawn Gary. Uh, Again, position flexibility with Michigan running a base three-three-five package. He lined up at nose, he lined up D tackle, he lined up D end. So, and if I'm not mistaken, Will, I think he also mentioned that he was probably the most uh, athletic talents of all the defense linemen. You know, this is definitely a great cast. So, um, Gary was definitely someone that, you know, if it happened to fall on our lap, Hey, I'm not mad. You know, position flexibility is definitely, uh, what we, uh, are aiming to do. And, and, uh, Hey, I'm all for it. So real quick, fellas, what, what round would you say a, uh, a guy like Christian Miller from Alabama? Is this a second round guy, third round guy, fourth round? Like what, what do y'all see him as?
1: Probably as a second rounder. I mean, I think a 16th pick. I'm looking at top 25 players in the draft. I don't think he's uh, has that high of a grade, but definitely if he's on the board in the second round, that's a direction I could see Ron Rivera going. I mean, especially with the move to the hybrid defense, you know, to have a chess piece like that as your centerpiece, you know, that that'd be a good addition to the defense right there.
2: Yeah, I agree 100%. Maybe second, might slip into the third because people don't know about him but you know we don't want to get the 16 confused. We already have an idea of the top guys we want at 16 whether that's a Sweat, a Farrell, a Greedy, a Murphy, a Dillard, a Bradbury. We want to make sure we get a day one difference maker at 16.
0: So let me ask you this. If it came down to available both Miller and Winovich at Michigan, uh, you know, you guys can answer Will first and Larry second. If it came down to them two, uh, who would you pick and for what reason?
1: That's a good question because I really like uh, Chase Winovich as a plan B and edge rusher if we can't get somebody like a Cleland Farrell or a Brian Burns in the first round. But, you know, I would probably, um, since we're going into this hybrid scheme, I'd probably favor Christian Miller in that case just because of the different ways you can use him and plug him in. You know, he can find different – there's different ways he can get on the field. And I think, you know, bringing in a guy like Bruce Irvin shows the direction Ron Rivera wants to go. He wants those guys that can play multiple positions and he can use as chess pieces.
2: I kind of agree, but, you know, Winovich's production is there, so I'm going to go with the production. I'll choose Winovich. Honestly, it's not a, a right or wrong answer here. It's really just preference. I watched a lot of Runovich. I didn't watch too much of Christian Miller, but I watched enough to know that, you know, you can play him wherever you want to play him. I'm just pretty high on Winovich, you know. I I wouldn't be surprised if he went the very end of the first round. A team like the Patriots would take him. So, you know, the production is there. He's polished. It is what it is, you know. If you're asking me the question, honestly, they're both on the board. I'm just gonna go against Will and take Winovich. Not saying he's wrong or right. It's really just a matter of preference and who you think will fit your scheme the best. I like to have edge rushers. I like to have production at that position. I want to get I want to get guys that can tackle and get to the quarterback. His tape says tells me he can do that, so that's why I'm taking him.
0: Okay. All right. It's good that y'all had uh put up a case for both. I like that for you. And you know while you guys was uh, chit chatting about it, just to get some more insight, uh, will about you got Byron Murphy. You know for those that don't know, uh, he came up as Pro Football Focus number one ranked cornerback for the 2018 season. Uh, just to you know give you some highlights of why they chose it. Uh, he came out with a his overall grade was 92 overall. Uh, he led all. Division one cornerbacks that had over 400 uh, snaps. His career grade at Washington they have is 93.5. That ranks fourth among the Power Five conferences for um, for for cornerbacks in the uh, PFF era from 2014 up. I mean, you're you're really talking about a guy that that can do it all. You know, he could play man, he could play zone. Uh, the main thing about him that they're bragging on here is Murphy ranked inside the top 20 in forced incomplete percentage at 24.2%. So, you know, he's someone that's not not allowing the wide receivers to to uh, be able to uh, catch a lot of balls here. So again, just you know, just give out some detail on these guys and and why they are being considered. I mean, either way, if Greedy Williams or Byron Murph was there at 16. I I think we'll come out on top with either one of them guys. But, uh, you know, y'all saw me on Greedy a couple of months ago, so, you know, that that LSU you know defensive backfield tradition, you know, let it continue. I mean, Dante Jackson, Eric Reed, and Greedy, hey, you know, call us LSU North if you want to.
2: Hey, Kevin, why you on that point? There's a rumor out there that uh, Greedy Williams is slipping down. Well, not slipping down, but a lot of the teams that's picking in the early part of the first round don't have him as their pick. So, you know, if it came down to it, or you taking Byron Murphy or Reedy Williams? See my thing, well, I mean, I watched both a lot.
1: I mean a lot in a lot of detail. I'll put it to you like this. The best cornerback take of the entire season that I saw this year was Byron Murphy's second game against Utah. You know, he just displayed so much in that game. So I mean I'm not going to go through play-by-play, but I suggest anyone that wants to learn more about Byron Murphy to go watch that game. But if you had the choice between those two, I mean, you got to like Greedy's size, his length, you know, his ability to play man coverage. You know, I think Byron Murphy's better in a zone scheme. This just depends on the scheme, man. I just got to go go with Greedy because of his size and speed. You're not going to get that combination of size, length and that 4-3 all-in-one package.
2: What about you, Ken?
1: Yeah, um, I'm
0: late to the party on Byron Murphy. When I first saw it, you know, when the the uh, initial reports came out and about these players, you know, at first they had him started at, you know, late second, early third. So he was someone that really stood out. You know, I had heard, you know, talking with you guys uh, throughout the college season about Greedy Williams and, And, you know, hey, y'all had me so because I'm looking at the fact that, you know, it was an elite, it was an elite secondary that caused the New England Patriots to win their Super Bowl. You know, they was like, only had 30 sacks in a regular season. So even with Trey Flowers, you know, playing and wrecking havoc, you know, it, it it just showed strong defensive play was really controlled by the secondary. So when you think about, the issues the Panthers had last year, we was just a half a second, second lake from getting to the quarterback. And I think that if we solidified our secondary completely, I, I definitely, uh, I'm definitely all for it. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm not opposed to a a premier, um, you know, edge guy, you know, with flexibility, like the, you know, like the, uh, you know, the Brian Burns and the Montes Sweats, of the world, but fellas, think about it. You know, we, we tighten up the secondary. We're going to make average defense alignment, you know, look, look above average, you know, everybody talking about DNs and stuff, but if we actually went secondary with our first two picks, if the board fell that way, I'm not even mad, fellas. Not I'm not mad at all because I think there's enough quality depth to get productive, you know, edge players, you know, with the, uh, mid-round picks, you know, but uh, yeah, I'm all for uh, elite secondary play, and you're talking about a guy that was, that's been all about the the front four and the front seven, but you know, again, what I saw the uh, Patriots doing the Super Bowl just convinced me wholeheartedly, you need an elite secondary with a pass-happy NFL where the rules definitely favor you know, the offense more than the defense.
2: And hey, Kev, I agree with you, man. It's a copycat lead. Go with the team that's in the Super Bowl every year. They put an emphasis on having an elite secondary. So that's something that we got to do. You know, if we, we, go get, we go get a Byron Murphy or a Greedy Williams, it makes our secondary better. I'm all for that. I'm all for it. So I agree with you 100%. And then at the end of the day, this is the deepest edge rusher class we've had in a while. Say you go ahead and take a Greedy Williams or a Byron, a Byron Murphy in the first round. That don't mean you can't get an elite edge in the second or the third. So kill two birds with one stone if you can. Another thing to keep in mind is this is
1: James Bradbury's contract year. So you're going to pay him, what, $10, $11, 12000000 million a year, give him that big contract next year. So, you know, you got thinking ahead. You know, you got to think, you know, taking a corner as a backup plan just in case, you know, Bradbury decides to walk next year. Somebody wants to pay him. So, yeah, I mean, there's a realistic – there's a very realistic chance five or six edge rushers could be off the board by the time we pick at 16. So, you know, if all of them are gone and we go, Byron Murphy, you know, I'm 100% okay with that. Yeah, I
0: am I am as well because I started thinking about it, fellas. I mean, with with Daryl Williams coming back and with Moten, I, I feel confident that if we left them to play the offensive tackle positions that – Now, again, do not get me wrong, I am not opposed to still taking a tackle uh, in the first round, but I think that that opens up the door for us to think about offensive tackle, you know, a little bit later, second, third, uh, possibly fourth round, you know, because either way, Larry, you said it all the time, no matter how high an offensive lineman is graded, he's going to need at least a year minimum of solid NFL coaching and, you know, I take Masco over anybody, but I'm I'm, I'm really am yeah, open-minded to different scenarios. What we do with our first with our first two picks.
2: So I mean, we're on the same page, man. Honestly, I I'll go ahead and start the controversy. If you're even talking about offensive tackle in the first round, if it's not Andre Diller, I don't want him. That's just me. I know Jonah Williams. People are high on him. If it's not Andre Diller, I don't want him. So. And you got a couple of guys in the second, third, and fourth rounds that actually are good fits, like, you know, tightest. So, listen, if it's, if it's going to be a first-round pick, and we talking about offensive line, and we talking about offensive tackle, to me, it's got to be Dillard. And if it's not Dillard, it's got to be an interior guy like Bradbury. So, you know what? First round, go get me the best player available.
0: Yeah, if you look at the recent mocks, I had y'all laughing a little bit about it for whatever reason. Suddenly, they got <laughs> Jawan Taylor out of Florida dropping and being available. Like the last few mocks I've been playing with this week, I'm like, "Well, why is he there all of a sudden?" I've been taking him every single time. I take him over um, Dillard. Um, you know, the counter your move as far as like who would be the best tackle. Now, realistically, it would be something unheard of for him to drop that far to us. But again. Let me, let me put it to you. If both Taylor and Dillard are
1: there at 16, who would you pick? I just don't see Taylor falling. At, I mean, I watched Taylor manhandle Montez Sweat, Josh Allen, you, Brian Burns, you name it. Jawan Taylor handle all of them with ease. So, I mean, I think I don't see any realistic scenario that he falls to 16, but I think what the deal breaker will be is Dewan Taylor's primarily on the right side. And we already got a stud right tackle and Andre diller has got the feet to protect Cam's blind side. So I think Taylor is the better player, but Diller is more of what we need.
2: Yeah, that's my sentiment too. That's the reason I'm not talking about Taylor because I'm, I might be wrong, but I'm, I'm just really focused on the left tackle position. You know, Taylor's a beast, and I know that Moken can probably slide over to the left side, but if I'm trying to go get me at every down left tackle, which my focus is, I'm going with Dillard. I have nothing against Taylor. I think he's a beast as well. Don't get that confused at all. I just really see him as a pure right tackle. That's why, like, when it comes to the word tackle, tackle, tackle in our draft, I'm thinking about LTs. So the names that come up to me is, you know, Williams, Howard, and Dillard. I just think Dillard separates himself from everybody else. That's why I'm so high on him. They even talked about Cody Ford playing the left side. He played mostly the right side in Oklahoma, and he was pretty decent. But I just think that, you know, Dillard won't need much coaching as far as being able to pass protect. Masco will probably put a focus on turning him into a mauler, making sure he can drive the edges off the line making sure he can get to the second level and, and, you know, block linebackers. Honestly, the guys that you're mentioning, Taylor, Dillard, even Williams, they're all an upgrade over what we had, you know, as far as Matt Kalil. I'm not trying to throw up more controversy, but that's what it is. So, you know, I'm just, you know, I, I might be biased, but was my favorite my favorite left tackle in the draft. Yeah,
1: I mean, if we took Jawan Taylor, we'd have the best right tackle trio in the NFL, but who gonna play on the left side in that case? <laughs>
2: exactly, that's exactly where I'm coming from.
0: Yeah, we can real go hybrid. We just have a tight end, a center, and we have Trey Turner just line up <laughs> three right tackles and just run like that all day. Who gonna stop it?
2: <laughs> Don't get it messed up though. You know, it looked like when, when we watched Moten play the left tackle position. You could tell he was learning it. You could tell he wasn't extremely comfortable, you know, playing left tackle, but he was productive. So, you know, worst case scenario, I wouldn't pass up on a guy like Taylor. If he's there, I'll probably take him and take my chances, you know, putting Moulton on the left side. But, you know, if everything was perfect, we could just have a perfect picture and we can go get a pure left tackle. I just want Andre Dillard. That's the guy I want. All right. Another guy that
0: came through and – shout out again to your money. We, uh, we miss you, bro. We wish you was here tonight. So we'll get your next around. Uh, one of his favorite guys he fell in love with recently was on the defensive side. Uh, Colleen Saunders out of Western Illinois. He also, if I'm not mistaken, came in for a visit. Will, I think you, uh,
1: broke, broke that to us, right? Yeah. Uh, the defensive tackle is definitely in play, particularly at the, Zero-one technique. You know, Dontari Poe is um, due $13 million next season, and we save $10 million if we release him. So with, you know, I don't know what kind of season he's going to have this year, but, I mean, unless he doesn't justify that, if he uh, isn't able to justify that contract, then once again we're in a position where we'll need a zero-one technique player. So I'm looking at guys like uh, Kalen Saunders as possibilities that could come in and step in for Poe you know, play that Dontari Poe star, Luce Lele role.
2: Let me ask y'all something, though. Is he better? Is he better than a Dexter Lawrence in the second round?
1: I'd say Saunders would probably be a third or fourth round pick. So um uh, question is, Dexter Lawrence is the better player, but then you got to ask yourself, do you want Dex in round two or Kalen Saunders or uh Daylon Mack or somebody like that later on? And I think, I think, you know, when Space Eaters, you know, like, what well, was Snacks? He was undrafted, wasn't he? So I think with Space Eaters, you don't really need to shoot that high to get a productive, effective Space Eater. You can, you know, take one in the late-mid rounds or try out some guys from the uh, undrafted free agent types.
2: Exactly. And I told y'all, you know, two episodes ago, it's still guys that are aren't signed, like a, like a Jonathan Sue or Kyle Love. I think we just want to wait till the draft is concluded you know, to figure out if we want to go ahead and pick up a veteran. So if you, you know, you don't got to reach for a space eater in this draft. We got a guy that we just got from the AAF that might be able to fill a role, as you just mentioned, and then, you know, post-draft, you know, you got Sue available, even though we can't afford him, but you could always bring a guy like Kyle Love back. So at the end of the day, you know, as far as those early round picks, I just want to, I, I really just want to get difference makers. I want to get guys that can come in Round one through three, I want guys that can come in and make a difference
1: for us. Yeah, and in no way am I saying that I wouldn't uh, be happy to have Dex in round two because he's he gives you a little bit more than just being a space eater. I mean, at that size, you're in a five zero forty, I mean, that guy, he's a freak in nature as an athlete. So, you know, he can give you a lot more production than a guy in the later rounds. So, you know, it is, I mean, it is what it is. I just prefer I think you can get value at that deep tackle position later in the draft as opposed to in the second.
0: And one other thing uh, to bring up, fellas, as I was looking through the list on the defensive side, you know, of uh, Washington had their pro day. And, you know, we spoke with, you know, Byron Murphy earlier, but another player in that secondary that's high on their list, uh, on many people's list, is Safety uh, Taylor Rapp out of Washington. Uh, six foot, 208 pounds. Now, again, he's someone that, I've seen name, but really haven't started paying much attention to him within great depth like I have, uh, you know, Donnell Savage or Jonathan Abrams or Juan Thon here or Mr Adderley. But if I am remember correctly, Will, you kind of brought him up a few times. Uh, what can you tell us about uh, Taylor Rapp in Washington? Like, is, is he more of a ball hawking type that we might need, or does he kind of fit more like what we already got with Reed?
1: He's interchangeable. I think he's played both. He's a very smart player. Um, his 40 time was four seven, which might have hurt him a little bit. But uh, when you watch him play, that's not really his game. You know, he's a thinker. He'll, he'll be two steps ahead of you, so he'll have great anticipation, you know, be able to get to where he needs to be. And I think that's how he makes up for that lack of raw speed and athleticism. It's just a deep safety class, man. I mean you know, you could go, I mean, I'd be happy with any of these guys, but I mean, you know, rap included, you know, just because we don't bring him up with the other guys, that's, we're not saying that he's not, you know, on that level as well. I mean, I've seen some boards that have him as a top two, top three safety as well, you know, but he's just a good overall football player, you know, but I think I would prefer more speed and range at that position. So again, it's a situation of it's not, there's other guys that I think we need to have the skill set we need, you know, and I, I don't know if rap will give us that.
2: I'm on the same page because uh, when you, <laughs> everything that you describe about rap, man, it just screams golden to me. Like, he might be a smart player, but this is the NFL. We need athleticism, we need speed, we need range. We got a guy named Eric Reed that can do everything in the box for us. He can bring down the heat. He can bring down the hard hits. We need athleticism in the secondary. That's the reason why we don't have Captain Muddland anymore. That's the reason why we're moving on from the older players. We don't want to get away from the fact that we're trying to get younger and faster. So, I mean, you know what? Like you said, he's a good football player. But, you know, I'll probably be looking more at the guys that are more athletic. I like Darnell Savage. Even over Adelaide, I mean, that's my favorite player as far as safety position goes. I like what he does. He does everything well, and I'm pretty sure with the with the new secondary coach we have, anybody we bring in at that position is going to give us a high level football player. But I don't want anybody slow. <laughs> I'm not trying to be close minded or nothing like that. I just want I need some speed. I need some range. I need some athleticism. That's what I'm looking forward to.
0: Yeah, let's not forget uh one more safety out um... there. I hope I get it right, does it? Chauncey Gardner-Johnson out of Florida? I mean, again, this, this is this is probably one of the deepest safety classes I've seen in, in, in quite a while. And, and I just think there's there's probably five to seven safeties out there that really could, you know, benefit us with what you're speaking about, Larry, with that athleticism, the ability to play either safety position, can come down in the slot to cover a tight end or a running back, you know, in these uh, different, you know, passing formations and alignments. So yeah, I, I, I trust our guys to our scouting team to really do their due diligence. And all right. Well we've talked plenty about guys that's entering the league and want to start their NFL careers. Now we're gonna switch it up to someone that's that's easily a first ballot Hall of Famer. Larry were talking about it at the beginning of the show, you know, paying homage. Well, you know, it's we we had that part where where it's our time to show this man some love. We're talking about the one and only Julius Peppers, you know, born and bred, state of North Carolina, played his college ball, University of North Carolina, number one overall pick for the Carolina Panthers, 2002. Uh, we were just talking about, you know, you'd be hard pressed to say the best defensive end in, in, in franchise history. And you can make a case that he can vouch for being one of the top five defensive ends in NFL history, you know, at least definitely top 10. But um, you could definitely make a case that, you know, based off production and consistency, I mean, Pebbles is just, you know, one one great guy. And the reason why I'm bringing up Julius Peppers is because now that he's retired, he's embraced giving back to the community. Uh, this was something that really caught my eye. Um, here recently, just uh, past past week, um, Julius Peppers came to Bank of America Stadium and wanted to let you know let everybody know what he's up to these days. And what he decided was is that he wants to give back to community. And there's three different foundations that he made huge contributions to. Uh, he gave them each a ten thousand dollar check. Uh, He recently had a sneaker ball that he hosted on Valentine's Day. And he said that he and Julius Pepper stated that he's singing these out because they align with my values. I feel like we all have the responsibility, the obligation to serve and help others. So if you're not doing work, doing the work yourself, try to support someone who is. So these are the three organizations that he donated checks to the Young Black Leadership Alliance. The Center for Community Transitions and the Girl Talk Foundation. And with these organizations, for example, the Young Black Leadership Alliance, you know, Peppers was stating that he was inspired by them because they help young Black students prepare for college. You know, and this alliance disposes them to, you know, be able to travel around the world and, and see service done in the community. And this is type of things that would allow. You know, young Black students to take advantage of that under normal circumstances they may not be able to. Uh, with the second foundation, the Center of Community Transitions, uh, you know, all of us know someone that's been, you know, incarcerated, been locked up, and this is something that you know Julius Peppers wanted to partner with because not only does it help support the families who have someone incarcerated, but it helps the people that once they get out of get out of prison help them get reacclimated, you know, back to society upon their release, you know, because we've all heard stories of how, you know, it's, it's hard for, for them to get a second chance once they've been out. So, Julius Peppers definitely uh, felt like, you know, contributing to that organization. And the last one, for a lot of us that live in the Charlotte area, um, probably have heard of this from the Girl Talk Foundation. Um, they basically empower young women um for those of us that listen to the local radio station in the Charlotte area, um 101.9, um her name is Janine Davis. She's the founder of Girl Talk and she had met Julius Peppers about 15 years ago and she said that he called her up saying he wanted to contribute. And for those that don't know, you know, Peppers been doing this on the low, you know, all these years. You know, that's Julius Peppers. He's he's quiet, he doesn't make a lot of noise. And this was something that um, that he felt like he wanted to contribute. So, you know, not only a great player on the field that dominated, but he's looked like he's trying to also dominate in the community as well. And uh, I definitely think that Panthers fans should be proud that Julius Peppers is still making a big impact on behalf of the Carolina Panthers, even after his playing career is over.
2: Well, you covered it all, man. He's he's definitely a humanitarian and I can respect that and appreciate that. You know, me as a Panther fan, the very first jersey I ever had, and I will post a photo on our 4 Man rush page, but, you know, I got a picture of being in eighth grade with a Julius Peppers jersey on, so you know, he's meant so much to me you know, as a Panther fan. He's meant so much to the organization. I was sad to see him go, you know, I was sad to see him leave and go to Chicago. I was hoping he could be a A day one Panther and played for the Panthers his whole career. It just didn't happen like that. But, you know, I was happy to have him back. You know, even though he lost a couple of steps at the end, he still gave us everything that we ever hoped for. So, you know, he led by example. I'm happy to see him retire the way he wanted it to be. I'm happy to know that he's going to go down as one of the greatest football players, defensive ends of all time, not just Panther. You know he'll be a first ballot Hall of Famer, and it's not a whole lot of Panthers we can say that about. So, when it comes to the Julius Peppers talk, man, he's he's, he's the goat. I respect him to the utmost ability I can. I love Julius Peppers to this day. I'm loving forever, and I wish nothing but good health and hope he keeps doing what he's doing in the community for us. Yeah, you know,
1: what I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't, I know there's. Uh... Players in the Hall of Fame that it, that were Panthers at one time in their career, but won't peppers be the first uh, first ballot Hall of Famer that's been a true Panther for most of his career? Yes,
0: that sir.
1: Would that would be correct. Yeah. So you know, it means impact speaks for itself. You know, my memory was too early. You know, two thousands. We had that defensive line. It was uh, Jenkins, peppers, Buckner, and Rucker. You know, and everybody, all the debate was about who had the best defensive line. Was it Tampa Bay or Carolina? I think it was Tampa Bay had a Warren Sapp, McFarland, Simeon Rice, and I forgot who the defensive end was. But, you know, I take our D-line all day in that case, you know. And then, you know, just from the 97-yard inter- interception return where he didn't score a touchdown, there's so many good memories of Peppers over the years, man. You know, I'm going to miss them, but. You know, it's time to bring in the new generation. You know who's going to be the next Julius Peppers for the organization. He set the standard on how a player should be on and off the field.
0: Yeah, he uh, he definitely left an imprint that would be felt, you know, way beyond his playing days. And you know, like you, Larry, my first Carolina Panthers jersey was Julius Peppers. You know, and uh, you know, like I said, with me being a North Carolina Tar Heel fan, you know, I, I definitely was follow him his days at at Chapel Hill, you know, where he played not only on the football team, but the uh, basketball team as well. And, you know, hey, you know, I, I, I must admit I was in my feelings, you know, when he left to go to Chicago. I, I felt like, you know, when I found out we offered him the biggest contract at that time to any defensive player, when he turned it down, I was like you know, why, you know, but, you know, the, the man wanted to change his scenery. And as I got older, you know, and understood, I, you know, I, I see that now, but, you know, and when I found out that we, he, we were signing him back, I ain't gonna lie, I was still a little in my feelings. I'm like, oh, really? Oh, now you want to come back? But overall, you know, I can definitely say that, you know, I'm definitely a big Julius Peppers fan. You know, I got out of my feelings and embraced him back and he definitely had a big impact You know, in in 2017, I think he had, what, like 11 sacks? And uh, I think Father Time just finally uh, convinced him that uh, 2018 was going to be his last year. But I definitely uh, definitely will always remember Julius Peppers as not only my first jersey, uh, but definitely going to be our first, you know, start to finish Carolina Panther, first ballot Hall of Fame guy. So definitely looking forward to him. Now, this takes us to another guy that, you know, always stays on news and on Panther fans' mind. And, heck, anybody in the NFL, you know, if they want to take a shot at him, Cam Newton. Um, This past week, you know, Cam Newton decided to uh, introduce himself to, uh, he was a special guest at the Charlotte Charlotte Regional Business Alliance. And what this is, is that this is a diverse group of business leaders. They came to Bank of America Stadium, and, you know, this was all about, you know, learning about the business and networking within the uh, Charlotte area. And uh, Cam Newton took it upon himself, because he was a special invited guest, to, you know, give his insight on the business. As most of us know, he just recently opened his very first uh, cigar lounge down in Atlanta called Fellowship. Uh, so he's definitely done broken into, um, the, you know, the entrepreneur of, you know, being a business, uh, business guy. And a lot of this, a lot of this conference was also talking about diversity. Uh, you know, Cam Newton was sharing how, you know, growing up in Atlanta that he didn't have a lot of diversity, but now as an adult coming into the NFL, you know, he learned about diversity and. You know, just pretty much letting it known that, you know, his foundations like kicking it with Cam and, you know, the other foundations that he do that, you know, being diverse, you know, helps grow your business and helps you to become a leader in the community. So definitely that was something that, you know, I'm glad Cam Newton was invited to speak and share on because with his experiences, he definitely is leading by example um larry will anything y'all want to add to
2: that well you know i live right here in atlanta so i see i see his contributions to the community a little bit more than anybody else does man his name is all over the place and i'm just you know everything that we've been dealing with with the nfl the last couple of seasons you know with as far as oppression and certain guys wanting to do more than others. As far as the community goes, Ken Newton is not a guy that you need to question. Um, He's just like a Thomas Davis. You know, he's dedicated a lot to the community. He continues to do it each and every day. You know, it's not just that. I know it's football, but when it comes to football players, it seems to never be just about football. They want to know what you're doing off the field. Nobody will ever be able to question what Ken Newton is doing. I mean, I'm just a huge fan, and I'm, I'm very grateful. As far as music goes, we just lost a guy, you know, Nip- Nipsey Hussle. He did a lot for our community. Cam is just another example of a guy, you know, plays football, but he makes sure he does what he can to empower our people, and I'm forever grateful for that. I don't have much to say about it because, you know, his, his actions speak for himself. You know, we, we don't have to talk about what Cam is doing because you can see it if you pay attention. So, Cam, if you ever listen to this podcast, man, just keep doing what you're doing. Your efforts are greatly appreciated. And just because of what you do off the field, that makes you one of the greatest Panthers of all time. That's just my my sentiment. That's how I feel.
1: That's you know, just one thing. good thing about the Panthers organization in general is the, you know, service they do in the community. You know, Cam, and from Cam, you know, we just talked about Julius Peppers, TD. You know, see Luke Christian rubbing off on young guys. Christian McCaffrey starting to do his share of working in the community now. You know, Torrey Smith came from another team. He fit in perfectly in the community. So it's just one of those things that, you know, off the field impacts. is one of the many great things about being a Panthers fan.
0: Yeah, it definitely is. And another thing that uh, Cam Newton did that, you know, probably a lot of Panthers fans wasn't aware of, you know everybody know Cam loves the kids, and uh, also um, last week, you know, last Friday actually, uh, Cam Newton went to Eastburg High School, which is in uh, Connolly Springs, North Carolina. And there were 1,000 fourth graders who were, you know, waiting for him to arrive. And you know, Cam, as we see on the commercial, is very active with the uh, Play 60. For those that don't know, Play 60 encourages kids to. Go outside and 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 do physical activities, at least 60 minutes each day, to promote you know good health and to counter ch- uh, child obesity. And uh, with this event, what it was, it was put on by not only Carolina Panthers but Atrium Health. And what it was is that the focus of the event was to focus on this new campaign that Atrium is doing called the 5210 League. And what 5210 stands for. It says it encourages children to lead healthy and active lives by doing five daily servings of fruits and veggies, no more than two hours of screen time, meaning television, internet, video games, and at least one hour of physical activity, and zero sh- uh, sugar drinks. So five, two, one, zero is basically what they were promoting. And you know, anybody that knows Cam Newton invest heavily into his own body. I mean, you know, you ever seen, you know, you know, Cam, whether in uniform or where he's, you know, got his, you know, shirt off and everything, you see this man is like, what, 4% body fat, you know, and he's you know, now going vegan. Um, but, yeah, just just wanted to share that with you guys as well. So he definitely uh, had a good time with the kids, encouraging um, good health and uh, everything else. And lastly, um, as we bring this to a close, uh, the annual uh, Josh Norman Celebrity uh, Basketball um, Tournament um, took place. And as you know, um, several Panther players took place and was playing. Um, Cam, Luke, uh, several guys from around the NFL, all of them came to show love and support. Just something that even though Josh Norman is with the Washington Redskins, uh, he still comes back and, and evolve to the community. So just showing some of the personality and some of the what the guys do in the off season to you know provide and share with others. Yep. So fellas, uh, what are your closing remarks? Uh, what's 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 on your mind as we're getting closer and closer to the draft?
2: No, not none really, man. It's the same as everybody else. You know, we're in April now. Draft time is coming. That's what we're all excited about. It's not too much to talk. about about no more as far as the offseason goes. You know, we got a couple of camp bodies that we were able to find some some optimism in, but, you know, let's get to this draft. Uh, Panther Nation, you know, send me your mocks. I want to know what you guys are thinking. I want to know who your favorite players are, you know, one through one rounds, one through seven. Just let us know what you think. Also, if you get time, you know, go on our YouTube page. Will Harris just really dropped the best Dante Jackson breakdown I've ever seen. So go check that out. It'll tell you a lot about his strengths and weaknesses and things like that, and you know what you could look forward going into the 2019 season. We got a pretty, a pretty solid secondary. We're just trying to get better. So you know, like you know, let's get to the draft. Everybody's excited about the draft. That's draft, draft, draft. That's what we're talking about. So I'll see you guys later in April.
1: Yeah, there's no offseason for us. You know, we're gonna keep you know giving you as much football as we can. Well, it's. Um film videos on YouTube, you know, weekly podcasts, you know, we're gonna cover the season year round. So just be on the lookout for, you know, anything that comes up.
0: Yep. And, you know, like you, you know, the draft is coming up of again to give y'all the dates, April Thursday, April 25th, uh through Saturday, April 27th. It's gonna be held in uh Nashville, Tennessee, is where the uh where the draft is gonna take place. Now Myself personally, I was able to reserve myself some tickets to the Carolina Panthers draft night party at Bank of America Stadium. Uh, That's something that I'm definitely going to make a four man rush exclusive. Definitely got some ideas. Going to be going live, going to be giving y'all exclusive access to this event. Uh, Be there when the Panthers first round pick is announced. Definitely going to be interacting. So definitely stay tuned with the four man rush. So we'll definitely be coming to you live from Bank of America Stadium uh, when that first pick is going to be announced. Also, everybody, make sure that you're checking in with us, not only our Facebook page, but check us out on YouTube as well. Again, check out Will Harris's breakdown of Dante Jackson. Keep up with us on Instagram, and also, also follow us on Twitter as well. So we're just trying to cover the avenues for everybody to get access to the Panthers. Well, again, want to thank you guys for another great episode episode five uh we discussed a lot look forward to uh what's else going to take place for the next seven days to dealing with the carolina panthers panther nation until the next time y'all take it easy
2: yes sir keep pounding hello hey i don't mean to be rude by saying this or nothing but my name is my here. i really think you're beautiful you know hey you mind if sit down and talk a little
1: bit you know i see you smiling yeah can we talk
0: about let like